Hi, everyone. Welcome to Brand Safety Exchange, where you will hear unique perspectives from experts and leaders within the world of brand and user safety. Brand Safety Exchange is hosted by Oasis Consortium, a think tank to unite stakeholders and create actionable, measurable standards for the protection of online brand safety. And I'm Tiffany Wen, the GM of Oasis Consortium. Today, I'm very honored to have my friend, Joe Silk, Senior Director of Moderation from Roblox. Welcome, Joe. Hey, Tiffany. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Before we start, tell me about yourself and Roblox and what is your journey to become the Senior Director of Moderation at Roblox? Sure. So I have been with Roblox for about a year now in this role. Prior to that, I was a security product manager for a tech company that did um, data backup and storage. And then for the two decades before that, I was actually an Air Force intelligence officer. I actually found those skills um, transferred very well into my current role. So let's talk about Roblox. Roblox's mission is to bring the world together through play. And we have a really strong community of players, game developers, and creators who work together to build and, and play these rich, immersive experiences in what we call our digital metaverse. As the Senior Director for Moderation, I lead a global team of dedicated moderators um, and our trust and safety organization. And we ensure that our entire community can interact in a safe and civil environment. To do this, uh, we use a team of approximately 1,600 agents um, around the globe, and they protect our users. We monitor for um, safety and detect inappropriate content 24-7, 365. We use a combination of machine scanning and human moderation, and this includes 100% of human review on user-generated content. So things like um, uploaded images or videos or audio files for, for the games that, the, that are being created, um, 3D models, that kind of thing. We also employ cutting-edge AI and machine learning um, to assist um, and when and where it makes, it makes sense to do so. We also constantly monitor world events, current slang and vernacular. You know, our, our largest demographic um, of users is teens, like nine to, nine to 12 or 13, so really tweens almost. And, you know, as you can imagine, those, you know, slang terms and teen vernacular moves very quickly. So we have, we have folks dedicated to, you know, trying to, trying to stay on top of all that. And, and of course, internet memes as they come out um, and manifest on our platform, we want to make sure that, that the ones that violate our community rules are dispatched quickly. So we have a team that does that. When it comes to brand safety specifically, um, my role is really twofold. And it's, it's really, it's two sides of the same coin. First, I help to ensure that our special events and partnerships are in line with our company values and that the content surrounding them stays within our community rules. And then second, kind of the, the flip side of that is I ensure that our partners and collaborators feel safe trusting their brand um, with us by providing a platform free of damaging content. Interesting. And uh, what is the latest number? 160 million? 160 million. Globally. Globally, yeah. Wow. There, there's a lot to unpack in what you're saying. I heard human in the loop for keeping online trust and safety, your crazy backgrounds as an intelligence officer at Air Force prior to this role now in the private sector to keep the team safe, right? There's a lot to unpack, but as a general rule, we started this whole podcast with a rapid fire. I call it always this refresher. So 30 seconds per question. 
or run through those um, to set the foundations of the rest of the podcast. So why do you think that the topic of brand safety is of growing importance today? So I think in the past, um, brand association with troubling content um, was clearly a problem, right? But there was a little bit of a randomness to it. Um, the odds that your intended target audience saw random bad content associated with your brand was relatively low. But I think today in the, in the world of you know, precision targeted marketing, the saturation of intended target as opposed to you know, random bystander, random viewer is much higher, right? So each instance of your brand being associated with bad content hurts your brand much more than it ever used to because it is so targeted, right? And I will tell you, um, you know, when, I, when I retired from the military and joined the private sector, I never again thought I would talk about precision targeting and collateral damage. So thank you for, thank you for bringing back history. <laughs> I was about to say it takes, it takes an officer to say precision targeting here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, second question. Why are you personally invested in this topic? So for me, um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, my parents would kick me out of the house and, and send me off into the neighborhood, right? And they would say, don't come back until the streetlights come on. I don't know that that's really possible these days. And so what, what really drives me about brand safety is, is being able to provide a safe digital neighborhood for my kids to go and explore and pass time with friends and do those things. And I, and I want that place and that neighborhood to be as safe and comfortable as it was for me when I was a kid. And that's very true. We don't really have the guardrails in the virtual world. I think that's why we first talked about uh, that. And then next thing uh, we know that we started Oasis Consortium together to set the guardrails for the virtual world. So the third question um, is that if we didn't have Oasis, if we didn't have guardrails for the virtual world, what would happen? So I think, Internet use and, and online communities really exploded before we had an opportunity as a society to establish like clear behavioral expectations. Um, you know, in the physical world, we inherently know and understand how to act in certain settings, right? We know what's, what's appropriate in an office building as opposed to a church or religious site or a museum or a playground, that kind of thing, right? We just kind of understand that collectively. But we haven't yet figured out as a society that the digital equivalent of that. And so without agreed upon industry standards, um, I, I don't know that we'll ever really get to a place where it's commonly understood that, hey, look, you just don't do that here, right? I think additionally, platforms, not just users, are becoming more and more interconnected. Of course, it creates huge opportunities for businesses, but that interconnectedness also means that we have to rely on each other to ensure safety across multiple platforms. And without kind of industry safety norms and standards, um, we really can't build the trust that's necessary to enable that level of, of interconnectedness. Perfect. I love the mention of words of trust, safety, security. You just threw out there. <laughs> so with that, um, Oasis has the five principles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, o, openness, A, accountability, S, security, I, innovation, S, sustainability. Here you go. Raise your hands. That was my favorite. <laughs> for the podcast listeners, not Zoomcast. So just, 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 just you know that that Joe, Joe is raising his hands, saying, "Wood, wood about security." Well, <laughs> well, obviously, with your background as uh, an intelligence officer in your past career, and now in the private sectors, um, doing moderation for roadblocks, right? Mm -hmm. 
I, I'm really curious to hear your perspectives about this term security. It has so many meanings and everybody from different perspectives could define differently. Yeah. And especially when it comes to cybersecurity, for the longest time, people always always think that, is, oh, that's a nation state issues. Now it's we are living that. So, so yeah. what's your experience? How, how in your career, your definition of security has evolved? Yeah. So as you can imagine, as a 20 year veteran of the intelligence community, right? Like I, security is something that I spent a lot of time thinking about and talking about. And it does, of course, something that's near and dear to my heart. But as you mentioned, right, it means totally different. That term security means totally different things to different people. And, and even for myself, over the course of my career, it's changed as I've been involved in kind of different projects and different aspects, right? And so hearkening way back um, to the, the, the young lieutenant days, my first security focus was on personnel security, right? Um, ensuring that folks had the right security clearances to do the work that they needed to do, um, making sure that they got their background investigation paperwork done correctly and on time, that kind of thing, right? Then I did a little bit of work in physical security. So, you know, looking at alarm systems and physical access controls, surveillance capabilities, um, making sure that we had coordinated responses anytime an alert was triggered, that kind of thing. And then I moved into operational security and I worked to ensure that our, even our unclassified information was properly protected. Uh, I think in the private sector, um, the closest match to that would be like ensuring that product details don't leak before the product is released, right? So you think about the iPhone 14, right? Making sure that, that those, those particulars stay secret until you're ready to release them. I think one of, one of my favorite examples of operational security in the private sector is when you see the pictures of like prototype vehicles out doing road tests, and they always have those weird like painted lines on them to, to kind of obscure their shape. Great example of, of operational security. So having done all of that, it wasn't really until the second half of my Intel career that I got deep into cybersecurity. I did defensive cybersecurity, you know, firewalls, intrusion detection, threat intelligence, that kind of thing. I also did offensive cybersecurity, which I'll just leave your imagination for that one. We won't go into details. But as an intelligence officer, right, my main focus was on doing the intelligence collection and analysis from you know, everything from mapping um, what adversary networks look like um, to understanding how their users and their administrators um, think and act and, and really everything in between. And all of that experience has taught me that when it comes to cybersecurity, you really have to operate with the assumption of breach. It's you know, the concept of a completely secure system or network really just doesn't exist. And with a focused and determined attacker, it's just a matter of time. And whether it's a nation state or as, as we've seen a, a bored kid, it's just a matter of time. And so you have to rely on other tools in your toolbox to help maintain that security. And, and this is where those fundamental, the fundamentals of security really come into play, right? The concepts of least privileges and zero trust, robust infosec training programs, red teams. I, I think one of my favorites is only keeping the data that is absolutely critical for your operation, right? And then only keep it for as long as you need it. Don't hang on to it unless you absolutely need to, right? These are all things that are critical to, to ensuring security and then in turn, user and brand safety, right? And so, you know, I just rambled on for, I don't know how long that was, but not until the last sentence did I mention the word safety. And I think there's a, a linkage there that, that is important to, to call out, right? How does security relate to safety? If you look at the kind of definitions, the security is focused on the, the protection of resources, personnel, organizations, information, that kind of thing, and mainly protecting from external factors. 
Safety, on the other hand, is more of a, it's the feeling you get when all of those external risk factors have been mitigated. You can finally kind of relax and feel safe. And so, you know, in my current role on the moderation side, I'm responsible for the safety of our users, our creators, and our business partners. Um, and I really can't provide that feeling of safety until I'm convinced that we have taken care of those external factors that seek to do harm, right? And so that's why security is one of the OASIS principles um, of, of brand safety and why it's so critical that we establish these industry standards um, and protocols together. Because it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a team sport um, and it's something that we, you, know, you can't, can't do it alone. Yeah, I love that, it's very true. Even, even, the, even the term brand safety it is already a combination of potentially two departments, right? Absolutely. And you can, I mean, it's very true, you know, every time when I step into a cybersecurity community, and this is a quite new notion to a lot of CISOs, right? But, but it, is, it's become, it becomes so important because people start to realize, it's exactly you mentioned, is if you can create the notion of trust of your platforms, then you can drive more users, and more user engagement and retention and ultimately directly translates to the business goals and revenue, et cetera. And, uh, and, and I think CISO is very well positioned to, to actually take that responsibility on. We're actually um, starting to see an awakening by consumers and, and they're coming to the realization that like cool integrations and slick user interfaces aren't enough to keep users anymore, right? So if you can't make them feel safe giving you their data, um, if they can't trust you, they're gonna go elsewhere. Yeah, it, it's, it's really true. The, the, the trust and safety becomes uh, a differentiator, a value proposition of, of platforms. And, and let's talk a little bit more about uh, Roblox. I've been working with different platforms, which is very unique about Roblox is that you are dealing with teams. What is so special about Roblox, specific as to trust and safety? Why actually it is so important to your job? And I wanna leave this platform for you to tell the audience how important your role is for, for Roblox and even for the whole society. Sure, so you know, as I mentioned before, the creating this safe digital neighborhood um, for kids to go and explore and play. You know, when you, when you think about it, Roblox is, is really one of the last bastions of free play that exists. I don't let my kids out in the neighborhood without somebody going with them, right? And I want to make sure that we can create a place in the metaverse, in this digital environment, where kids can go and explore with those, those boundaries and those social norms that we need to create. And then, so that's one of the uh, big initiatives for us is we try really hard at Roblox to not focus so much on punishment and, and saying, hey, you violated our rules and, and go take a time out, that kind of thing. We are trying to shift to more of an educational response and saying, hey, maybe that isn't the nicest thing, you know, the nicest way to respond. Maybe, maybe there's a better way to say what you want to say and kind of teaching those, those social norms at a young age and understanding what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in the digital environments. Yes, there's, there's this layer of anonymity that, you know, between your computer screen, my computer screen and yours, right? But that doesn't, that doesn't make it okay to act inappropriately. And, and that's something that um, you know, we take very seriously, that, that responsibility of, of helping to teach our users and, and frankly, our, 
our communities moving forward. Yeah, it's um, it's fascinating what you were saying. When COVID hit, a couple of my friends told me you should write an article about some investment trends you see. And then the, la- the I, I wrote five predictions, and the last prediction was about you will see the line between ad tech or the educational world and the gaming world is getting more and more blurry. You know, sure. as you said that you are actually teaching the teens and the kids how to behave in society. And the bad is, you know, as we, especially I think uh, COVID accelerated this trend and we'll see actually the kids probably will actually spend more time at a platform more than at a school. So, so you took like a crazy responsibility, Joe, <laughs> on your shoulder there. It is, you know, fortunately I have, I have a great team um, and we have the support of, of our executive uh, leadership from the company and, and um, it's a great, great time to be at Roblox. I'm really excited about what we're doing. I, I have a last question for you. Okay. To, uh, one day you told me that actually the, your, your U.S. market is saturated, right? Because you're, I mean, in great, 160 million, you know, the total number. Uh, what's the percentage of that for the U.S. and what is the international? So it's now about three quarters of U.S. nine to twelve year olds are on Roblox, and then the rest is uh, is uh, is international footprint. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the audience might imagine that different cultures, different languages. You try to have players from all those different backgrounds come together to play, and then you try to moderate the whole platform and try to keep everybody safe. So, so right. tell us a little bit about the challenge of uh, growing globally from the perspective of moderation. Yeah, so I, I think, um, as you can imagine, one of the biggest challenges for expanding a, a market into a global community, um, it comes with you know, surrounding language, right? And at first blush, you may think like, oh, Spanish versus English versus Korean versus Chinese, right? But we have difficulties even in English. Probably the most glaring example is in the UK, in England, um, the word fag is used to describe a, a cigarette, right? Well, here in the US, of course, that is discriminatory and, and we, we don't allow that on the platform. We don't allow smoking either. But, but that's just one example of how from a moderation policy and even, even when we get into kind of the, the AI and machine learning tooling that, that we're developing is how do we grab the context to know that, hey, this phrase is okay in this language or this country or this culture, but it's not okay in these other places. And figuring out, you know, how do we uh, segment the population into those geographic groups? And is that something we really want to do? Maybe somebody from the UK wants to play with somebody from the US. We should encourage that, right, to make it a global community. Um, and, and how do we make sure that, that we have the, you know, the standard bar set at the appropriate level so that folks are free to communicate and share ideas, while at the same time maintaining safety for everyone? Wow. Hard job. <laughs> but, but that, yeah, that's why that's why I'm so excited, you know, about having you to be on the advisory board because you really see the challenge and the, and the, you you demonstrated some best practices, you know, in the industry. And I think brand safety has been very very meaning led by a lot of brands. But I think the brands need to understand the constraints and the challenges you are dealing with. And I, only when the both sides can come together around the table. And realizing how hard it is 
And I really encourage all the platforms to set roadmaps and resources and the talents like yourself to lead the initiative. Would brand safety ever happen? So really, on this note, thank you so much, Joe, for coming on board. Thank you so much for having me, Tiffany. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Joe.